Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lighting the Candle, A World That Works. Good afternoon. I'm Bill Carell, and along with my two co-hosts, Mr. Ken Caputo and Ms. uh, Jan Jeremias, uh, we're going to entertain you and edify you and hopefully give you some things to think about over the next hour. And how I know this is because we don't know what we're going to talk about when we get on every single week. And uh, as being the convener, I get to toss some words out. And if folks want to talk about that, we do. Uh, the intention is, is to get into the domain of empowerment. And what that means is, is taking a situation uh, that may be a personal experience of not being able to take action when you know you want to, ought to, and, and it just isn't there for you make the choice you know, to, to, uh, to be in a position where you are powerful and to be empowered, you know, through your own uh, thought choices. So in general, I guess that's how it goes. But what we do is pretty much like popcorn. We uh, share some ideas. And then as the ideas blossom and bloom, sometimes it goes a particular direction for a little while and then comes back around again. But it's always fun. And we kind of know if we're getting it done with each other, uh, that there'll be value here for you when you uh, watch this uh, podcast down the road. So again, if we're getting our job done around here, uh, we're giving each other and ourselves goosies every once in a while. And the word we're going to talk about today, again, I'm tossing out there, you know, for your approval, um, truth and, and narrative. And I think we can go a lot of different directions with that. Uh, what do you folks say? Yeah, that could that could be an interesting can of worms to open right there. Right there, I know. <laughs> could be delicious. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So while you are pondering that, I will do Lisa's job and uh, get some definitions up here for us. Okay. Yeah, I was just doing that. Cool. So when you, when I think of of truth, um, I mean this goes back to like the earliest times when I had language, and to me, you know, the simplest definition of of truth is something that can independently be verified objectively, you know, by any person using the same the same information, and a narrative is like story time. You know, there's a conversation going on and the conversation has limits and bounds and it's intended to produce some sort of a, 
a thread or a string uh, to either, um, shall we say, inform or possibly uh, misinform or, or whatever. But the truth is something that stands on its own and does not, does not crumble under intense scrutiny. It is the same as viewed from all points of view. So did that buy you enough time, Jan, to, uh, to get the real definition up in front of us? Oh, okay. I was looking at listening to what you're say, you were saying, and I, you know, easily distracted here. <laughs> I understand shiny things. I was, um, so first thing it says, the quality or state of being true, that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. A fact or belief that is accept, accepted as true mm -hmm. is what um, is offered up first. That's an interesting little addition to the back there. Something that's accepted as true. That What's that line out of uh, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson, Till the Lie Becomes the Truth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very interesting. It, 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 it just brings to mind that somebody was telling me that a lot of the stuff over the last 20 years that was available on the internet has been massaged. And, you know, that includes definitions to, to words in some cases, facts, removing access to some historical data that might have been there in the year 2000 but is no longer searchable which the really cool part of that is is that uh you know with the advent of ai uh google and other search engines are really losing an awful lot of their control of, of the narrative if you will and where certain things have been designed you know not just in this country but worldwide you know to to go a particular direction and this is the again another narrative that may or may not have any truth associated with it but our information system and our access to language and our in you know our ability to to go and discover things for ourselves just by having questions has to necessarily lead us all to the same conclusions so that since everything is perfectly in alignment with everything else, you know, so the narrative goes, then we must come to the same conclusion. And in many times that conclusion is a completely different answer than we would have resolved 20, 40, 50, 100 years ago. And the neat part of that is, where can you go and corroborate or fact check the internet? How about printed books? Mm -hmm. That's a really cool thing to do. And I advise you, the next time you hear some sort of a, a historical statement in a YouTube video, I don't know, it might even be this one, um, go and see if you can find something that either supports or, or refutes or maybe gives you more you know, mass and dimension in terms of the information that's being offered. But that's kind of a cool thing. Somebody was saying something in a meeting uh, that some inquiry in Congress or something, and I was listening in on it. 
And I said, you know what? That doesn't sound right. I actually don't believe that that's how that thing went down or what was ultimately decided. And I won't get into the details of what it was just so I can generally be right in my, my, uh, uh, you know, my narrative here. Um, what I went and did is I went back and I looked at an encyclopedia Britannica that was printed in the 1930s. And I looked up the very topic that they were talking about. And it was something that happened in the 1800s. Absolutely a different story. Completely changed. However, I did look it up on the internet and I used Google first. And what I found was almost word for word exactly what they said in that meeting. Now, I wonder which came first, the Google or the, you know, the, or the representation of that being factual and true. It had to do with, with, with the legal system in, in the 1800s. So with that said, um, there's also another big controversy that's coming out right now with the introduction of uh, AI, where the, uh, the search algorithms that are being used with the major search engines are not respected by AI. So, and there's further messing with this that goes on. And that is that AI is not able to, to uh, discern factual data or information from stuff that's not true. So I don't know if you've looked into it a little bit or, you know, the whole chat GPT, we're up to four and there's going to be a new uh, five that's coming out. I spent a lot of time looking into that over the last three or four months, uh, you know, when I first became aware of it in, in November and December. Very cool. And the tools are, are, are absolutely amazing and fabulous. And at the end of the day, whatever it produces is probably no better than what your you know, eight or nine year old can come up with story time, right? It still isn't something you can hang your hat on and say, been verified, et cetera, et cetera. But the neat part of it is, is it doesn't look to the data that's available in where uh, like a Google search engine would. So you at least have a chance to possibly introduce some new information that wasn't necessarily findable under a normal search engine, which I think is kind of cool. And will it make us any more confident with what we hear as being the truth or being a narrative? Starting to feel like in and of itself, Truth can be overrated. <laughs> that sounds very Orwellian. Yeah. Well, it, just from the perspective of, you know, if it's if it's coupled with a narrative, you know, as humans, because of our level of ignorance and confirmation bias and all those kind of things, what we are going to choose to see as truth is going to align with a narrative. So it feels like what's more important is, is context. And so it's like the focus, not being on what the, the fact is or what you think the fact is, or what's where the fact came from. It's like, what's the relevance of that? So like you think empirical truth, like gravity, right? And some people right now are, are so confused by this whole thing. They, they've decided gravity doesn't exist either that that's made up <laughs> so but for argument's sake we'll say that that's something that you know we'll we'll say that that's an empirical truth that exists for some people 
they they leverage that truth and they make something that defies it and flies through the air. You know, other people build something high and create a railing so that you're safe from the effects of it. You know, it's it's not about so you can argue all day long or question who who recognized it, how it works, all that kind of stuff. But then you're missing the point of, you know, what is the result that you're trying to produce? Like, how does this serve you? So, and I, I think that looking at, you know, whether it be politically or anything like that, wherever you see polarization, truth becomes a weapon that they're using to better support and convince people of their narrative instead of data that we use in a context to create an outcome, you know? So, and if you're, if you're, if you're willing to have the conversation and deal with the repercussions of being clear on the outcome you're looking for, knowing that people may not agree with it. Now truth just becomes something that you're using to support that, you know? But a lot of times we don't want people to know what our actual outcomes are because we know they're not going to like it. <laughs> What's interesting in, in what I'm hearing, what, in what you're saying, is that the word truth is fungible. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in as much as you can leave out truth and overemphasize so-called truth, and that's more along the lines of the, you know, the, the narrative descriptor, as we were saying before. But there's also this thing that I think is very powerful that you said, where any statement can be a Rorschach test. Mm -hmm. And it's been proven over and over and over again, that when people read something, they don't all internalize it and process it with the same meaning. So this can be across different cultural lines. It can be, you know, uh, different nationalities the so-called exact same words being printed in Latin or French or Italian or English or Hebrew, they don't land the same way. And that person, as you said, you know, the training and confirmation bias and just the, you know, the bandwidth of being able to, to listen and hear the words with any intensity uh, to an inarticulate listener there's a very thin communication there to an articulate listener who's very schooled in language and linguistics there are lots of different ways to read every single sentence all of which can be you know not mutually exclusively true but all be true at the same time yeah and it's isn't it interesting how you know i mean that why does it matter to the person who's interpreting it, you know? So, and, and the fact that like, I, if you talk to two people and one believes the earth is round and the other believes the earth is flat, they will both tell you that that is true. And there's nothing you're going to say that's going to change them from their central belief that that is true. And they will give you all of the evidence of why that is true. And they'll think the other one is not seeing the truth. You know, you hear all the time right now in social media, wake up, you'll see, you know, if you were awake, you're asleep. But the problem is everybody is asleep and telling each other that they're awake and they need to be awake, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so what's the, what's the reason that you feel 
the earth is flat. Why does that need to be true to you? What is, you know, and maybe it's because you, you lack trust in government. And that's really what it comes down to is you believe you're being lied to and that, that is upsetting to you. And this is the thing that anchors that belief and gives you a sense of control, something you can debate people on, you know, instead of a vague unknown, you know what I'm saying? So it's, I, I think I, the word, Ken, that when you said controlled, I think of it makes people feel um, secure is the word that comes to mm-hmm. my mind, because I think people nowadays especially feel very um, vulnerable and very at risk. Like they're, they're not quite sure what to believe in, so to speak. And so they need something to kind of grasp onto. Mm-hmm. And that feeling gives them some sort of security. Yeah. And, you know, the word true, when I, you know, truth, when I was thinking to myself, like, I always say, what's true to me? Like, what is, what is my truth and what is true to me? So I take it much more individual um, and maybe because then it not only has to do with, and what's true to me beyond the narrative, beyond what I tell myself to be true. Or the story that I tell myself, which is usually colored in some way Mm -hmm. uh, by my experience and by my life happening and whatever. And there's something about what is my truth or what's true to me, which is deeper beyond all the narrative that I've told myself for my whole life. And yet it's all all the same thing. Right. It is all the same. Right. 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 You're in this soup. And, and, and it gives you some comfort to say my truth, okay? This is right. relatively a new sentence. There wasn't any my truth when I was 20 years old. There was the truth, okay? And everybody had pretty damn sure that they knew the truth, right? Which is where the bar fights started. So the, 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 the really interesting part now, um, and this is taught at university. This isn't just like somebody out there in the world made it up. They wanted to give people comfort, you know, to be discordant with cultural norms. And so the introduction of if you if this doesn't feel good to you, then you have you have a moral responsibility to stand up and rail against it. That's kind of interesting. You have the that you have the um you have the obligation to be offended because this does not agree with your truth. Now, is that an interesting thing to plant in people's minds? That's kind of a, an interesting worm to have working in the background for the rest of a, a student's life. And what is that intended to produce? What's the desired outcome for loading somebody up like that? Now, Jan, your truth is something that's got thousands of hours of experience behind it. And probably more time studying and more time looking at, at things where there, there is potential for, for discordance and for, uh, for things to not agree with each other, where your critical thinking that you were armed with at an early age allows you to say, as Ken and I would say, with the three bullshit detectors, you know, does this make sense, you know, to my, my, my head, my heart and my gut, you know? And when those three things are not in perfect alignment, and one of them says, I don't think so, Tim, then the other two get to go to the back of the room and wait to see if there's more information coming. 
but I love the notion of my truth right now. How does that do for you on an exam? Well, it's, you know, I think that's the other thing that's, that's interesting about this is you, if you, if you look at, I, I think sometimes we forget, like if you were to go back to the fifties and where we were kind of in an industrialized age, you know, you, you needed, like you went in the factory and you put the widget in the gidget and, you know, you had security, you know, as much as anyone could, you know, in that job and in that role. And it was very like, you know, it was kind of clearer just because that was how society was functioning. That was what was allowing us socioeconomically to create some kind of a cohesive thing. And then you shifted into the age of communication, which changed the rules. So now those things aren't any less true, but the context has shifted, you know? And like now you're in an age of really we've left kind of the age of information. We're heading into the age of consciousness where now people are becoming self-aware and they're starting to have very different conversations that weren't really relevant, you know, 70 years ago. So, so again, have whatever truth you want. You know, I, I think that the interesting thing is if the focus is on awareness of the impact that's having internally and externally, that allows you to make decisions. So, you know, so if people are told in college, rail against injustice, that doesn't mean that they have to do that through their whole life. It means that it was an idea they've been exposed to. And if they've developed self-awareness, yeah, they but, can start to question whether that fits for them. Yeah, but the narrative that you're espousing is the narrative that says that all people are in intellectually capable of having the same notion of my truth that a Jan would, for example. Oh, when yeah. I hear, yeah. When I hear Jan say my truth, I hear it more like a Stephen Covey moral compass that has been put there through enough successes and failures in life to have some um, adult view of the world, as opposed to when I said that you should rail against and that you should, you know, immediately objectify uh, as, as an insult and, and, and an offense, somebody who says something that does is not uh, in, in accord with your truth. Okay. Not, not anything other than that. You know what I mean? You hear something that you don't agree with. It's now your responsibility as an activist to get out there and do something about it and change it right now. Well, I think there there could be a place for that, you know, and there could also be a time where that is taken too far. I, I think it's like everything, it's a spectrum. So what I'm saying is, I don't think it requires intelligence, it requires attention to just notice the impact of the decisions you're making, and be brave enough to change if the result doesn't align with what you see as being true. So, you know, I mean, I, I know people that they became activated, for example, during Black Lives Matter, and they took it too far. And, you know, and I distanced myself from them, I believed in what they were doing, but they took it too far. And then they kind of realized based on the fact that people that they trusted and who they were friends with weren't that way anymore. So they adjusted the behavior back. And, you know, and it's they're no less passionate for it. They just they, they reorganized 
around the result they were trying to produce, which is being respectful and advocating for what they saw as injustice, but then, you know, course correcting, you know, and I, I wonder if maybe that's, we, everyone, we've, we've done that since we were cave people, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, if you're starving, you had to course correct to figure out how to get food, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'd like to rewind if I could, Jan, would you, since, since I kind of jumped on the words that you said and not your meaning of those words, I'm more interested in when you say my truth, what's behind that for you? And I'm, you're, I know somebody who's put some thought into it. You know, it's not like parroting something you heard somewhere. And I, I, that's, that's my expectation of, of where it comes from, from you. I think I look at it or I feel like it comes from a space of if I can get beyond the stories I tell myself, what is the, what are my root feelings in something like what? And I, and I, I can say, I feel it in my heart. Like what, what is the world like beyond all those stories and beyond all the outside <laughs> influences that are we're exposed to on a instantaneous basis these days because yeah. it's available all the time and so it's something far deeper beyond anything um that might be able to be described to someone it's like how do i operate um on the basis level that's the way i feel like that's my truth are you able to articulate in any moment what your what your truth is, or is it something that's kind of dynamic and kind of ebbs and flows in terms of your noticing it, or when it seems even important for you to acknowledge that that there is your truth? I think there are points in my life where that's the place I, let's say, I try to navigate from. Yeah. And there are points when life gets challenging where I have to go back and consciously make myself aware of what that truth is for me. Um, because I've, you know, I've deviated too far off of, let's say, who I, who I, who I truly am. And sometimes it's the realization of what, um, and I know we're not supposed to be happy and content and joyful all the time, but sometimes it's as simple as going back and saying, okay, you know, what brings me joy? Back to that question. That's exactly where, where I, in terms of listening to Ken and you both and kind of overlaying them, there's this whole aspect of a human being having the intention of growing, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm not, I'm not a cooked human being at the age of 19 or 20. There's always this opportunity that if I can install a couple of subroutines, like the, inquisitive curiosity, the nature of, of seeking out wonder in the world, and that openness to being corrected by new information once I've had a chance to verify that it does, you know, at least I can tell if it's on the, on the good or the evil side of the, uh, you know, the, the, the graph here. And the, the kind of the neat thing, you know, that I... For people who go through a period of time of being told what is important and what they should believe, and then being 
pretty much indoctrinated in that way of thinking, how do they get that curiosity? How do they get that openness, you know, to having new information or to change their point of view because it's it's been updated, you know, like there's some an opportunity to grow in this moment, which when I hear you speak, Jan, that's where I say you're coming from all the time is to be mindful when you're asleep and notice that you're asleep and wake up, not because somebody told you to, but because what's going on inside of you says, Jan, you're not fully present right now. You might want to just check in and see what's going on in your life. There's something on a rudimentary, a very, very core kind of like, I want to say um, almost rudimentary level just does not feel right. And Mm -hmm. I'll just use this as a personal example. So I grew up in a very, I grew up like every normal kid. And when I was 10, my parents, um, we were Jewish and traditional, which was, how do I describe it? We kept all the holidays, but we didn't keep the Sabbath. We, you know, we just kind of went around and we were, it was very a part of our lives. And when I was 10, my parents became Orthodox. And um, so we didn't drive on the Sabbath anymore. They kind of segregated themselves. So we wouldn't, you know, and I didn't, as a 10 year old, I did not understand like, like, you know, giving up my friends because they weren't Jewish and religious. Like that didn't make sense to me because they were still the same people. Like, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I was like, well, what's the difference between now and yesterday? They were my friends yesterday. Why aren't they my friends today? And something on a very, very core level just felt wrong about that. It just felt wrong. I was just like, this just doesn't feel right. Like, I loved that person yesterday. How can you tell me I can't love that person today? Like, so I kind of had to go through this whole soul searching kind of way for me to navigate the world, trying to keep both worlds kind of in me, you know, knowing and basically like, that's what I consider a truth. Like at a root level, I just said to myself, something about this is wrong. Like I, I, yeah. And so I think that, you know, sometimes it's those strong feelings of like, you just tell yourself, like, maybe I can't even describe this to people. Maybe I can't articulate it if somebody were to ask, but something about this just feels totally off. And that wasn't a story anybody told me, like my, like, no, you know, it was just something that just didn't feel right. Did your parents have a, uh, a conversation or a discussion about what, what changed for them? between yesterday and today years later i asked them but i think as a 10 year old i don't even know that i knew to ask i mean i might have asked but they also might not have known how to answer it yeah in a way that i could have understood and right now i mean i know i did ask years later um and it took a long time for me to come to terms with that because i was religious for a lot of years because they wanted me to be religious and i remember um, the experience of finally thinking to myself, I don't want to, I felt like such a hypocrite because I didn't really believe it and I was doing it. And I remember sitting there and friends of my parents had a son who went and left Orthodoxy and they literally sat Shiva as if he had died. And I remember I was like 19 when that happened or 18. And I thought to myself, like, that was so horrible to me. I thought to myself, well, if I leave then I'm going to be all alone in the world. Like I'll have no family. 
And yeah. so that influenced the way I acted for many years. And it took a lot of strength for me to sit there and say, okay, well, I can't be, this isn't who I am. And I can't live a life that I don't like, I can't do it because I don't believe it. And, you know, that's so a I, powerful what you're saying right now, all of that worked in your life and gave you a very small space to operate in because you're always bumping up against what's the consequence of my not play acting or whatever, however you reconciled it to yourself. And, you know, we all go through that. Rarely does anyone in any type of a situation have the intestinal fortitude to just stand up and go, this ain't right. I'm not doing it anymore. While all their friends are, are, are going forward with whatever that was. I think that's yeah. an amazing way to demonstrate the difference between truth and narrative. Thank you. Um, and not to say that, you know, and I'm not saying I'm the only one and other people have life situations which are similar, you know, yeah. maybe different stories or different things happen, but they go through the same experiences. But for, for me, it, I think it was very hard because I was ostracized and separated for many years yeah. because of that. And, you know, it was only, um, you know, and it's as I got older and I, you know, kind of had the, uh, the real feel like the real dialogue where what we'll, we'll, you see is what you get. Like, this is who I am yep. and this is who I am. And if you love me, you'll take it. And if you don't, then, you know, I can't do anything about it. But yeah, it's a really interesting place to navigate. It's, it, it's kind of an interesting feeling to be, um, you know, so I think that I, that's what truth was to me. Like I just, you know, and that was the example. Like I, people were people to me. There was sure. no label, you know, it's like there were either good people or people who, you know, people who acted with consciousness, awareness, like kindness. And so that's why, you know, I think it's the Dalai Lama who always says that, you know, kindness is my religion or my religion is kindness. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt. Well, I think it's interesting. You're demonstrating, you're demonstrating where being conscious in an area that really matters, fundamental human relationship, which is the lifeblood of everything we do every day of our existence. So go ahead, Kim. Sorry. I was going to say, it's, it's interesting noticing how people respond when one person's truth is perceived as a threat to their truth. And what are they going to do with that now? Who are they going to be in that moment? When the jar gets shaken, <laughs> who are they going to be? You know, so I think that's that's a lot of what you were experiencing, Jan, I would imagine. Well, it was interesting because for many years, I used to ask myself, like, you know, if I believe like you're born into a family like kind of thing, I used to ask myself, like, why was I born into this family? Uh, being mm -hmm. like, in, a, in my extended family, I'm pretty much you know, at my mother's side, I'm pretty much the only one who's not religious yeah. out of everybody. So I sat there and I turned to a friend of mine one day who used to tell me I had like, because I still wanted that connection, that family meant very a lot to me. And I wasn't willing to sever that tie because sometimes they would treat me really badly. And she would say, I can't believe like you just haven't totally distanced yourself from them. And um, so it was just, I, I, I said to my friend, I think I'm supposed to, I was born there to teach them tolerance, mm -hmm. like to like basically put in their face 
the fact that there were other people in the world that were not like them. Um, as hard as it is sometimes, yeah. but and that might be a story I tell myself and that makes you know, but that's a, you know, that was something that I thought about through the years. Like, why was I all of a sudden put in this situation? There, there's so much invisible background in every single life's experience, given where your parents came from and oh, given, you know, what happened in Europe, you know, uh, 80 years ago and what happened in Spain uh, two, 300 years ago and what happened in Egypt, you know, two, 3,000 years ago. There's this whole, um, I can't say anything from personal experience because I haven't had this sort of an epiphany where it seemed like my survival depended on being part of and being in lockstep with, 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 with the rest of a flock, if you will. And I can definitely see that your parents, at whatever age they were they were at, um, literally got religion. You know, the choice of orthodoxy is one of the neat things that goes on until you become orthodox. You don't, you can't, you can't undo that. You're this is how it's going to be from now on. Or shunned is a terrible thing. You know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as I've navigated this whole thing with my father and going down and caring for my parents. And yeah. um, I think my family looks at me differently because I think they realize that, you know, one of the true, um, that, you know, as, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and She's a rabbi and she said to me, you have to look, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you know, what is one of the commandments? I will honor them, you know, my mother and my father. And she said, you know, I think your family saw that, you know, maybe I don't do a lot of things, but that tie and that, like, I took that, you know, I take that very seriously and very consciously. And so it was just an interesting, I think it's been very interesting for them to see, um, to see someone who's not like them, actually, quote unquote, not like them on a yeah. deeper level, Laurel, like, thank you for picking up the kitty again. <laughs> Been a big part of this, uh, this podcast so far. Yeah, yes, he has. They, they need attention today. <laughs> she has. <laughs> around what, what looks like a, a handrail over there. It looks like stairs going down, but, uh, yep. Yeah. No, she, uh, she, she's, always into something <laughs> laughing sorry so yeah so until you got the enlightenment and could ask questions about how and why things happened you see how most people just go through their lives bumping into walls and bumping into other people and most of the time just being you know sort of not quite miserable you know and having these little moments of of random joy that pop up with no real way to point and click, you know, to make that come into your life right now, like simply because, and, and there's a neat, neat thing that um, I've heard many, many really uh, people that I respect say this, if you take 10 minutes a day and dedicate that to prayer, anything that you consider to be prayer, it doesn't even necessarily have to be to a higher power. I mean, it can be, you know, to Gaia and the universe and, you know, all that. If you take that time to accept your humble position in your life and to be thankful for it, that that changes the color and the flavor of your life 
for the rest of the day until it's gone. But if you do it every single day, at least you have a period of time, you know, before that sort of runs out of juice. You know, it's it's funny. I think about um, so in in martial arts, there's two skills that are equally important. One is the ability to root, and the other is the ability to move. And if you try to root all the time, eventually you're going to run up into something that's going to move you. But if you try to move all the time, eventually you're going to get moved to where you don't want to be. So. It's understanding and getting skillful at both of those things. So going all the way back to, let's say, advocacy, there's time where you have to take a stand. It's like, this is what is true for me, and I'm not budging from this until it's time to move. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, so it's, and I think, you know, again, it's kind of like, I think for a lot of us from when we're kids, and this is multi-generational, it's just, here's the surfboard, paddle out there here come the waves deal with it it's not the waves fault it's not our fault it's not the surfboard's fault we just aren't skillful at it so and and we're not intention in being skillful so instead we're trying to understand the wave or we're angry at our parents for not teaching us how to surf or we're looking at the surfboard saying if i had a better surfboard i could deal with this you know so it's all personal and and it's all outward facing instead of how do I become skillful at this? What are the components to that? Who can, who could be my teacher? How could I be my own teacher? And the funny thing is those tiny waves all of a sudden are nothing. You barely even notice them, you know, because you've learned to hold your center. And over time you start to look forward to bigger and bigger waves. So now someone challenges what's true for you. And instead of being afraid of that, you can embrace it because it's just going to be an interesting wave to surf, you know? Well, it's a neat thing because, you know, there, there's a whole culture of philosophy around, uh, around surfboarding. Uh, if you mm -hmm. go back and you look at the nature of the beat generation in California and all of these kids that took up surfing and where they went to, to kind of figure out what their lives were all about and, and all of the, the whole, um noticing that by the way if i'm afraid of the waves it's not the waves i'm afraid of it's either coming from my past or some fear about a future that's generated from another time but i'm not mindful right now. and my goal in this moment is to be absolutely one with this moment as each moment unfolds and the nearest that i can come in describing what that might be like for me in my experience was skydiving. You know, I, I want you to know for the first three or four seconds after I rolled out the side of that plane with this little capuchin monkey on my back, you know, the sky skydive master who weighed half as much as I did. Um, this is a bad idea, you know? And then all of a sudden for the next 60 seconds, I had no thought. I had no thought whatsoever, just the, the wind misshapening, you know, my, my cheeks and all this kind of stuff flapping. I could feel, you know, just holy mackerel. I, and, you know, after I landed, I said, I can't remember a time in my entire life, maybe birth 
was the last time I had that feeling, you know? And the most amazing part of it is, is that if you really are truly in a moment and you're trying to do the Richard Simmons deal a meal and put another card in place for what you've got right now, the answer is choose what you got. Bring it, you know, let's have some fun here. Let's, yeah, is that all you got? Right, come on. Oh, that was, oh, yeah. And each moment, it just is coming right back to being mindful again. Yeah, I think there's also some acceptance of impermanence that can lead to unnecessary resistance. I mean, when you're surfing, every time you step on the board, maybe the last time, and maybe it's because you can't do it anymore, or a shark eats you, or the wave was too big and you hit your head on a rock. You know I mean? <laughs> but it's it's inherent, you know, and and if you don't surf, it's still impermanent. Like at some point the last breath will come, you know? So, and it's just interesting. I think that, you know, as I look at a lot of, you know, the situations where going all the way back to truth and narrative, it's if this, if, if they get this, you're going to lose that. And, and that's bad. So we got to keep that from happening. You're going to lose it. It's, it's just a matter of when, <laughs> it's not an if, you know, <laughs> either you're going to lose it because you're going to die or you're going to lose it because the world's going to change or, you know, it's just so there's so much caught up in in trying to fix things that are unfixed, rooting at the wrong time, you know, and, and then other people are are moving at the wrong time. They're moving too fast. So and they're like, you know, they're they're too progressive, let's say, you know, so where they're. Now they're moving for the sake of moving instead of recognizing when there's an opportunity to take a stand and kind of rest in that and look around you, you know, instead of just stimulating, you know, feeling the stimulation of more movement. Sometimes you just got to float and wait for the next wave. That's okay. You know. My high school football coach always used to say, if you play not to get hurt, you will. Yep. So your attention has to be on executing and giving your best, you know, physical and mindful, you know, smart thinking, smart actions, smart moves. And there's no room for injury thinking in that whatsoever. If you play to not get hurt, you definitely will. That is true. The best way to run into a tree when you're racing a mountain bike is to focus on the tree. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, it gets really Guaranteed. real. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's so interesting as you're, you know, because I focus, you know, some of the most challenging of yoga poses are the balancing poses where and um, how it's such a like, can you speak to this? It's like such a fine line between thinking about it too much and you think about it so much that you can't balance. Like you think about it, you're trying to do everything you've ever heard about how, like how someone who balances does a good job. It's all running in your head and you're like, okay, well, if I engage this and I stand this way and I, you know, recruit this muscle and I kind of relax mm -hmm. here and your brain gets so involved that you just, you, you, there's no possible way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then the days where I would get up and think to myself, I'm exhausted today. I really can't do anything. And then I would stand and I would nail it. <laughs> 
because I was just too tired to even think about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> too tired. And it would just automatically, everything would just kind of like fire and go into place. And it was so automatic. It was so inherent that it wasn't, you know, that's just the way it was. It was just the, it's the, it's the day that you, you know, when your brain gets so, so involved. Yeah. And it's well, funny how it's well, like, it's the letting go that, you know, reveals to you, you know, where the balance actually is, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Landmark education in the early years, uh, especially right after Werner left the United States to go hide in Russia, uh, what they had is this thing called the sixth day. And they took pictures of people on day one, you know, coming in uh, with no training and no experience and all the rest of this sort of thing. And then each day there were a series of different challenges. And one of them was to run a mile as fast as you can. And so you can see, you know, that that's going to be like a range of different ways of, of executing that. And then another one is uh, rappelling down the side of a, a, a cliff on a controlled line. And the really cool thing is, is that watching some videos of people standing up there giving all the reasons why they could not step off. And then the, the, the line was always the same. I understand. Please step off now. I understand. Please step off now. I understand. Please step off now. And then when they stepped off, they reported it was the coolest thing they ever did in their entire life. <laughs> but they were arguing against it, like vehemently, I'm going to die if I do this, you know, that sort of thing. And I know we, we get ourselves into those positions all the time, and we just don't notice that they're just thought distortions that at the moment, or we want to survive the moment without doing the thing. You know what I mean? And there's no way to survive the moment without doing the thing. If the thing is the thing you're, you've got to do, you've got to just say, okay, I'm stepping off. Here I go. Whee! Well, I, I think when I think about, you know, let's say my decision to just sort of like leave what I was doing and be true, my truth, was this feeling that if I didn't, I was going to lose myself. Uh, that... And that was the feeling I had. I remember if I don't stand up for who I am and what I believe or what's true for me, then I'm lost. Like I've lost myself. And so when Ken was talking about losing, I was thinking, yes, it is inevitable that we lose everything, that we do die. But that was the feeling. And when you, I think of the time I repelled. And so I went mountaineering in, nor in the Northern Cascades at one point yeah. and we went, you know, we were using picks. I mean, I you know, and I was hiking and everything and we on a glacier and we hit a thunderstorm on the top of the mountain. And the guide was like, basically, we have to repel off and we have to repel off now because if we don't go down now, the likelihood of us getting struck by lightning is quite <laughs> high. And so I remember it was there was no choice. It was kind of like when I left, it was like this feeling, OK, if I want to live, I better jump. <laughs> but you know what? What you said is so perfect. You know, our, we always have this quantifiable, definable, reportable identity. You know, like it's more of a weather report than anything else. And you absolutely do have to die to, to grow. You have to be, you know, let, you have to let your, your, your self of this moment be 
gone to be the self you are in the next moment having accomplished something. And one of my favorite books is a book called um, Broken Open by Elizabeth Lesser. Yep. And um, at one point she calls and she's, I think she's quoting somebody, but she talks about what she calls the Phoenix process is the fact that, you know, Phoenix basically burns up so that it can be reborn. And that feeling of, you know. Yeah, there's, there's a, there's a whole technology of breaking one's self up. And in terms of being a a full court um, active liver, uh, like somebody whose life is always about exploration and finding that next unexplored moment that that is worth getting out of bed for and becoming excited about every single day. The the notion of having this this firm self that you went to sleep with last night be absolutely destroyed and replaced with the new self. And in many cases, that just becomes like like the highest high that anybody can have. And I, I had I've had several people that have gotten into big time trouble, especially rollerblading and stuff like that. Like there's some new thing they got to do today. And at some point, you know, it, it either gets them in the hospital or they decide that was too scary for me. I'm going to put some back and the skates are going in the closet for a week or so. I think it's very interesting that when we, we talk about it, I think about a yoga practice and what is the last pose you do is corpse pose is because the whole idea that when you get up afterwards and you like that first pushing of the hands into the ground, when you go to sit up again, is that whole idea of you being reborn again. You know, every time you get up off your practice, you are not the same as when you sat down. The really neat part of this conversation is, is folks that are not familiar with anything that we're talking about as far as practices are concerned. What we're, what we're really discussing is how the practices are, are intended to interrupt your beliefs simply because a belief is an unchallenged thought that you're unwilling to let go of. And I guess, you know, the last time we looked it up, a belief is, in many cases, um, without uh, factual or truthful data. It's something that someone whose belief is so strong couldn't prove them out of it. There's no proof that that belief will, will make it disappear. And in many cases, it'll actually cement the belief more. So people who are interested in breaking up their belief system on a daily basis to get more out of living, as opposed to more suffering or more, you know, uh, thinking about whatever it is, that's not working in their life and that sort of thing. This is that whole bring me back to being that inquisitive child and allow me the joy and the wonder of experiencing something newly for the first time every time I choose. Not everybody's so, up for that game. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I've been been playing with this this uh, little theory lately that I, I don't think I've really talked about this out loud, but I'll share it with you guys. So it's a an emotion to skepticism ratio. Oh. So basically when 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 what's coming at you evokes strong emotion for a reason that's outside of yourself and, and it's on both sides so intense 
joy or intense fear or anger, the the level of skepticism that I I approach that with, like the amount of critical I look at it, is based on the degree of emotion that they're attempting to provoke. So you know, so if like it's in, you see this in supplements. You know, you will die if you don't have this nutrient. You know, and and here's how we've learn to package it and sell it so that you don't die. I have a lot of skepticism about that, you know, but if it's, if it's Peter T on his podcast and, and he's saying, Hey, there's some new research, some peer reviewed research about this, this nutrient. And this has happened in mice. I don't know. I'm testing some things. They're just having an exploratory conversation where they're not triggering you into some hope or fear that's disproportionate. Yeah. Now I'm curious, you know, like I'll, I'll listen more openly than I will if they're just pushing a lot of emotion. So, you know, so I've been listening to politicians this way and it's really interesting. There are some that have kind of a reasoned, measured way of explaining their position. And there's others who are attacking, they're insulting, they're rage farming, all of that kind of stuff. And it's interesting, the more when you apply skepticism to them, you find that there's a lot of holes there's a lot of things that are missing, you know, that they're trying to use a little bit of kernel of truth to pull you into alignment, whereas there's less holes to see if they're not evoking as strong of an emotion because they're just being reasonable. They're, they're actually trying to give you their informed perspective, and they're open to contrary perspectives without attacking. So it's been an interesting lens to kind of look through situationally. And I love that, Kim, because I think I look at um, a lot of traditional medicine with that eye of them trying to scare me into doing something. Um, mm -hmm. And not to say that I'm going to go and, you know, if they tell me I have some sort of severe illness and I should take a medication, I'm not. But I think that for a lot of things, I kind of step back and I'm like, really very skeptical about the information I get and what they're trying to share. And based on, you know, some of it is based on data, which, you know, which I don't think is applicable or is too global. You know, it's like to me when they always give the ranges, it's like normal men, like, you know, a normal women. And I'm like, what is that normal? Yeah. You know? <laughs> what are they comparing too, you know, like, you know, what is that age range and where, where do you fall in that? And all that kind of stuff. I really start to like, I don't want to be told, like, I don't want to just that, that kind of puts my guard up. I think I start to go, okay, like, what do you, what is that exactly going on here? And it's much well, more like, of, of curious, of curiosity. Like it's really yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting to me. Like what is their, you know, do they have an ulterior motive to me? And what is that? And and how do I feel about that? And where am I physically to know whether I feel like that fits for me? Yeah, that's so funny. I literally, like an hour and a half ago, I had a conversation with a direct primary care physician that I think I'm going to start going to. And the conversation was exactly that. It was, he he's not too far. He said, there is a place for holistic homeopathic there's also you don't want to disqualify you know 
traditional Western practices either. They may be necessary. It's a, it should be a conversation between the patient and the physician about what makes the most sense based on where you are and what you're looking to accomplish, the context of it. And I was like, I think I finally found a doctor. <laughs> you know, so, and it was interesting because I've talked to functional practitioners who I would not go to who are like, oh, it's big pharma. They start all of that stuff. And it's not that they're wrong, it's that it's a judgment that evokes that strong kind of emotion about this is all bad, you know, and then they've got, you know, their website looks like a freaking NASCAR race thing because it's got all of these supplements, you know, that they're prescribing instead. So it's too far the other way, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, so and this guy was like, he, he was, he was moderate and open to what makes sense without having to justify anything. It was, we have a conversation and we discuss what's best. And, you know, and it's funny, like within the conversation, within 10 minutes, there were three books that I mentioned that he wrote down. He's like, I want to research a little bit more about that. That's kind of interesting. I've got several patients I think would, would like this information. So he's not the know-all be-all. He was curious and open to conversation and I think it's going to be a very, very fulfilling relationship for both of us. So, it's, but it's exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's like, that's, those are the, that's, that's to me, the real lane. That's what we need to find more of, you know. We, uh, we just got a new doctor, our, our doctor of, uh, of 30 some odd years retired uh, two months ago. And so we've got this wonderful woman from Argentina and the same kind of low-key, you know, um, with what you're describing, we could look into this, this, or this. And have you considered a diet change? Have you considered, you know, maybe some some exercise here with, you know, being able to stretch things out or, you know, offering all sorts of things that are not coming from big pharma. You know, all at the same time being a they're all ists these days, right? And they all work for a living and they don't have to pay their own uh, malpractice insurance any longer because no one can afford that. But the neat part of it, of it is, is that she's got a, a very interesting way of being that's quite different than our experience of doctors, older doctors, especially down in Florida, which is tell me, you know, where it hurts. Oh, you've got this and we're going to put you immediately, you know, with a uh, a prescription for that and that, that that didn't work after six days oh well no then you must have this you know and so you play that game for about two or three months and you're still not any better but suddenly you're over it right mm -hmm. um as opposed to somebody who takes the the time to sit and and and, and ask a, a more fundamental question don't tell me where it hurts tell me what you did for it to hurt mm -hmm. you know that sort of a thing so yeah, I, I think that one of my key things when I did switch doctors and part of that was when I moved was finally to go to some place, somebody who believed that nutrition mattered. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, as I had been in, you know, the more traditional world for a long time and nutrition plays so little at left least when I was working and in the field directly, nutrition paid very little role in health as far as they were concerned and yeah. not believing that at all like not understanding that like how could that be 
and um, feeling it, like knowing it in myself. And then just saying, well, this just, does, like, that's one of the things where you sit there and you really start to look at it for yourself and you're like, this, this doesn't feel right. Like how, how that just does not make sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And realizing that, you know, as far as your concern, Ken and Bill is finding those doctors or people that you can at, that you feel as a, you can have a relationship with who will be an advocate, let's say. We yeah. like their narrative, in other words, you know, right. it all comes down to this has been missing from my life for a while. And it's an amazing experience to speak with somebody who's in the medical uh, business, who's not interested in just kind of slapping you on the rear end and getting you on the road with a prescription. Well, and sometimes it takes being open to, you know, now we're back to, are you willing to let your truth be changed. So like, you know, the whole idea behind direct primary care, this is a subscription service. Your insurance does not cover it. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you don't, you, you should probably have insurance for catastrophic things, but you know, you, there's no co-pays or anything like that. You pay a monthly fee. Mm -hmm. And then if you need tests and stuff, you have to decide, you know, there's going to be an out-of-pocket cost for that, you know, but generally speaking, it's significantly lower because you're not going to the insurance, which jacks everything up, you know, because they got shareholders to satisfy. So, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it's a very different model and, and it's a different way of, it, it's easier for someone like me who basically, because I've been self-employed my whole life, the amount of insurance that I have, if I ever really, really get sick, I'm going to be bankrupt anyway, because there's just, our healthcare model is so screwed up. You know, I don't, have two grand a month to pay for healthcare coverage that would actually cover it. So right. my de deductible is like 12 grand a year. It's, it's like, I'm, so. there, I'm there with you, Ken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's so broken and, you know, so. Well, I think but, that's uh, been my impetus is to take as good care of myself as possible. Is that I, I don't want I don't want to have any, I don't want to have anything, God, you know, I just, you know, I want to keep myself as healthy as possible. So I never really need to utilize yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. But having an advocate that, you know, I'm just subscribing to basically that, you know, you can go in and visit and they help keep you healthy from, from that medical perspective. To me, that makes a ton of sense. You know, mm -hmm. now you have someone that you can actually talk to instead of you. The only time you ever see them is when you think something might be wrong. And they're just going to remedy that and punt you back out the door. <laughs> because you're not really the client. Nope. Services that they perform is in, in large respect. You, you, you just happen to be the, 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 the matrix uh, battery that's plugged in that allows them to continue doing what they're doing. And the, the deal is increasingly in all areas. And I'm, and I'm giving you a really cool narrative but it seems like the deal is between go big government and big something or other big insurance, you know, big medicine, uh, big education, big, you, you fill in the blanks. And the really interesting part to, to consider here is are there any places in our life where you think we'll ever experience absolute unmitigated and un unrefutable truth? Or is it all narrative? I, I think for me anyway, the 
it's the truth is not super relevant. It's it's all about the context that you build around it. So, you know, I mean, you can use it just kind of to help you navigate, but in the end, you know, it's kind of like the truth of how a car operates doesn't really matter if you get to take your kid to little league practice. That's what actually matters. The the truth of the car is less relevant than the functionality of it working. <laughs> the only time you really notice the truth is when it breaks. <laughs> now, now you need to know some things or get someone to fix it for you, you know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's, I think, a really good point to uh, kind of wrap things up for today. It's been another amazing conversation. And I don't even know how we do it, but we take a word or two and from nothing we have this 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 tremendous conversation and i think it's based in respect and love and i think that that's not a bad place to 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 play or operate and before i give my final uh in my my final parting words to our listeners do either of you have something else that you'd like to wrap up with I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm good too. I think you are too. So your homework, once again, folks at, at home, and also for you too, uh, uh, Ken and Jan, is to uh, call someone, text someone, send an email, but be in contact with someone that you love and let them know. Let them know the world is better because they're around. It makes a difference in your own heart to know that they're out there. And I guess that's the uh, the last thing that I'd like to say today, except for go out into your lives and know that you are loved and bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Lighting the Candle, a world that works, part of the Exvadio Podcast Network. You can catch us each week as well as the rest of the network at xvadio.com slash podcasts, as well as the Apple Podcasts app, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon Music, and wherever you find podcasts.